Phillies take game one in the wild card. The Marlins, they lose 4-1 to the Philadelphia Phillies. And Zach Wheeler was dealing, baby. The Marlins had some chances, but in the end, they go down in this one. It is now sudden death for the Marlins. They must win the next two games on the road in Philadelphia, starting this evening with Braxton Garrett. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up, of course, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you're listening to the pod, of course, hit subscribe. This is your team every day. And thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. This one is coming at you pregame before game two. There is a YouTube channel, of course, guys. It is also called Locked On Marlins. Head on over there, hit subscribe and join me. If you are watching, you will see you have the graphics to help. You have the rundown. You will also see it's a solo pod. So just me today breaking this one down. And uh, this should be a fun one in some ways. The episode should be fun. Lot to get into. Lot to take away from yesterday's game, I must say. Uh, before we do that, this episode is sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel. Yes, sir. And uh, to <laughs> let's start that again. Make every moment more. <laughs> right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. You can visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. All right, guys. So it is Wednesday, the 4th of October. The Marlins have dropped game one in this wildcard series. It was a highly anticipated game one. It was a non-UK friendly game one. I have to call it out. But for those on Twitter that, that, that were observant, you would have seen I was tweeting during the game. So what did I do? Got into bed about 9 p.m., set the alarm for 1 a.m. Alarm goes off 1 a.m. I was downstairs for like 1.05. Game on. Uh, no beers. No beers or wine. Went straight for the I was went straight for the caramel latte. Homemade caramel latte at home. Uh, I was on the school run with the kids. So unfortunately, no beers, no wines at that kind of time because I was driving at about 7. 30, 7.45 a.m. Anyway, enough <laughs> of my home schedules, but I do want to give you an insight as to how tricky this can be though these times. But we do it because we love it, guys. First proper postseason run for 20 years. I wasn't a baseball fan then. Uh, and so I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm loving it. It was highly anticipated. And I must say, the first thing I would say about yesterday's game, Citizens Bank Park, as advertised, Boy, oh boy, that atmosphere, wild. It looked insane. Someone else on Twitter was talking about if the Marlins make it back in the NLDS and they have the, they'll have they at least have one home game. And I think it was maybe LMF was saying about don't give us a piece of paper or some card or something to hold up. No, we need something fabric. We need a rally towel. We saw these red rally towels in, in full action in Philadelphia yesterday. Atmosphere was insane. It was the biggest attendance of any of the four games. Uh, the Rays, unfortunately, pulled less than 20,000. Uh, granted, it's not the optimal start time for the Rays on a Tuesday, so I get it. But equally, 
Man, oh man, that's a poor look. It's a poor look. And, you know, listen, we've spent plenty of time in this podcast talking about attendances, but man, a, a wildcard series, a home wildcard series, I, I get it. That start time isn't amazing, but to only to get less than 20,000 is insane. Anyway, 45,000 plus at the bank for uh, for the Marlins and Phillies. It was the, the premier matchup. And, you know, it was, it, it certainly, I think, delivered in terms of intensity in terms of the competitiveness in there. And and I would say the quality of ball, like it was relatively clean, I would say. Like a lot of score lines yesterday looked similar, like kind of low scoring affairs. This one obviously 4-1 to the fills. A lot of similar score lines around, right? You you've got a lot of aces going. And some some teams didn't have their aces going actually, but you know, for the Phillies and for the Marlins at this point, they both went with their number ones the number ones that were healthy for the Marlins. Obviously, Sandy would have historically been pitching, but it wasn't to be Jesus Lazardo getting the ball uh, for the Marlins, Zach Wheeler getting the ball for the Phillies. So where was this game won and lost? And where was it won? It was fundamentally won for the Phillies, Zach Wheeler. When all said and done, and there's a few things you can kind of pick out of this game, oh, this didn't go right, this wasn't great, blah, 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 whatever it might be. When we strip it all away, this was Zach Wheeler being absolutely dominant. I, I tweeted about it last night, like as it was happening live and in real time. We've been lucky enough as, as Marlins fans for, for many years now to be watching Sandy Alcantara. We got to watch Sandy Alcantara in 2022 Cy Young form. He was pretty much untouchable um, for most of the season, other than like an odd West Coast start in, in Dodger Stadium or Coors. Other than that, it was almost flawless from Sandy. And I must say that start from Zach Wheeler yesterday was was up there with one of the best starts I've ever seen by any pitcher. Granted, I think he did tire a touch towards the back end. I think the Phils, you know, they squeezed everything out of it. It did help. They were like leading by uh, by three runs at that point. You know, I, I do. It felt like it was like a regular season length. They kind of let him roll you know, into that seventh inning and he started to labor maybe, but listen, for those first six, I mean, Zach Wheeler was just, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. And, you know, as much as you want to kind of lambast the Marlins, oh, the offense hasn't shown up. It hasn't done anything. Listen, I watched that game and I watched every pitch and I felt every pitch. I wanted them to do so well. Clearly, Zach Wheeler gave him no chance. He was flawless through six. One of the best starts I've ever seen in one of the biggest spots that there can be. Game one in the wild card. At home, 45,000 going bananas. Zach Wheeler just fully delivered. So, you know, the Marlins were up against it, no doubt. On the other side of the ball, in Jesus Lozado, for him... It was a different type of day where he he didn't quite have, he didn't quite, it wasn't like, you know, Wheeler was just like, it was almost the perfect outing. Lozado was, let's call it, 70%. It just wasn't quite there. And it's easy to understand why. Like, it's a big moment against a tough lineup and a raucous crowd. Um, but it was, it, the, some of those sliders in particular to the lefty guys, like, there's sliders low and away. And then there were Jesus Lazardo sliders yesterday that were like way off the plate, spiked. Nicky Fortes, he was like, he was like Goldberg in 
in the Mighty Ducks. He was incredible, actually, yesterday, Nick Fortes behind the dish, no doubt. But Lozado, it just wasn't quite there. But overall, I mean, he got himself into a huge jam in the first inning. I think, what was it, runners on second and third? And no outs? To get out of that? Unbelievable. Huge plums. Huge plums getting out of that in that spot. And it felt like every inning, it was just so tough for him. So tough. Pitch count was rising all the way through. In the end, you know, the fills break through. However, what I must say is the the Bohm, the, the one of the, the big hit early on was Alec Bohm. And that double, I think, from Bohm there was, you know, he was way out in front of that. He he was fooled. He got it down the line, but it was right off the end of the bat. It was one of them ones where it was lucky. And any other given day, anything else could have happened. Don't get me wrong. The Phil's approach was impressive yesterday. Their at-bats, I thought, were impressive. The Marlins hitters, I, I felt the approach was slightly off. I want to talk about some of the hitters after, but the uh, Sean Barrett texted me during the game. He was watching live too. And Sean said, Babbit gods. And that's exactly what I was thinking. It felt like the Phil's, things kind of went their way. The 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 bounce of the ball kind of went their way. When I think back to the first inning for the Marlins offensively, they struggled to get anything going for a while, right? But when I think back, Arias, he lines one um, into left field. Opposite field, blast one into left field, caught. Think Soler struck out. Then Josh Bell, he lines one, you know, a hard-hit grounder that was fielded by start and out. And you come away from that inning going... Different day, you know, there's there's a you know couple of hits there. And then you're into, you know, Berger and Jazz Chisholm with, you know, a couple of guys on base. You know, who knows how that goes? And the other side of it, I felt like the Phils, they definitely had a bit of the rub of the green. The Marlins, they needed all the help they could get against Zach Wheeler. And the Phillies defense kind of stood up, performed, and got some uh, and the offense got some timely knocks. Want to carry on this conversation and look at how the Marlins managed it beyond Lozado and what that means for the rest of this series. I want to talk about Jackson Jr. as well. He he was a talking point for many. There was probably four or five different reasons why Jazz Chisholm was a talking point yesterday, which is really interesting. We also look ahead to game two. Braxton Garrett is going. We need to remember where Braxton has come from this year and where we're up to. But fundamentally, this is sudden death for the Marlins now. They need to win the next two if they don't. They are bounced out of the wild cards uh, and out of this postseason in 23. And the Phillies will go on to face the Bravos. We will see. Um, before we do that, though, guys, uh, let's get our first ad of the day. And it's our good friends over at FanDuel. So we'll get some sexy graphics going. There's Sir. Uh, and guys, you can snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers. Get $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and it has a wide range of betting options, including spreads, of course, player props, over-unders, and more. They've got it all there. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. 
All right, guys, you are here with me, Peter Pratt, on Wednesday, the 4th of October. The Marlins lose in game one against the Phils. Four to one. Zach Wheeler, absolutely immense for the Phillies. Absolutely immense. The Phillies offense just about did enough. The Phillies defense stood up. The Phillies bullpen. We'll talk about that. I want to talk, start with the, the Marlins bullpen because this was interesting. The Marlins were down 3 0. And, you know, three runs down for the Marlins is kind of their comfort zone. Like, this offense seems to come alive in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And so, really, from a Marlins perspective and a Skip Schumacher's perspective here, he's looking at this going, Zach Wheeler looks really on. Can we get to Zach Wheeler? Maybe not. Um, what he doesn't want to do is to burn through all the leverage arms when they're down 3 0. And it's a bit unclear how this game's going to play out. He had a decision to make, Skip Schumacher, in terms of how he managed and went about, you know, getting through the, the innings. And a lot of a lot of eyebrows, I think, were raised on on Marlon's Twitter around this topic because, you know, you go to Puck in the fifth inning. Uh, Puck's, I, I would say, been pretty nice in the past month or so, for sure. In September, for sure, he feels like he's kind of got it back. You then go to Soriano. I'm, I'm thinking, man, George Soriano, he's pitching here in the sixth inning in a wildcard game down by three runs. You know, it wasn't who I expected to see out there. And I think a few Marlins fans were feeling the same. You then go to Brazaban, and then you go to O'Kurt. I think the O'Kurt one definitely had a few people worrying. Like, O'Kurt has not been good for some time. But by this point, you know a decision had been made about where to go. And clearly, like, if the Marlins offense would have come alive in that seventh inning and got all the way back and they had an opportunity to do that, then you would have seen a different guy out there clearly for the eighth inning. But I think Skip Schumacher realized and, you know, was was pretty clear that this one was going to be an uphill battle. On sun, on sorry, on Sunday. on game In game three, if we get that far, it's effectively going to be a glorified bullpen day. You're going to need all of your magic bullets for that game. They're also looking at game two and thinking, well, there is definitely going to be a game two and we'll definitely need to win it. And we like our chances better against Aaron Nola than we do against Zach Wheeler. Who knows? I mean, Aaron Nola could absolutely show up and pitch out of his mind today. Or on the flip side, Braxton Garrett and whoever it might be gets absolutely blown up by this offense, the Phillies offense, which could absolutely happen also. And so the, the the reality is with the amount of bullpen requirements and innings, particularly with a bullpen game that's planned in the game three, Skip had a, you know, it's a real fine line. It's a real tough line. And I think he made, I think he managed it perfectly. The Marlins kept in touch, even though they went to just Puck, Soriano, Brazaban. You know, they kept in the game. They kept runs off the board at that point. Still within three. Then they close the gap to go just two down. They also then have pretty much the biggest moment offensively for them. Runners on the corners. You then go pinch hitting, Yuli Gurriel, two outs. Gurriel we talked about on the pod uh, on Monday with Sean. I brought him up, Gurriel. He's, he's a guy that's got a lot of postseason experience. He's been there, he's done it. And also his record in the postseason you know, is, is pretty good. Not quite Hoy Soler levels, and Soler didn't have a great day yesterday. But you go to Guriel, you had to. They brought Alvarado in. Big lefty, 
Jesus Sanchez was up. Jesus Sanchez, absolutely not the right guy to face Alvarado. Skip Schumacher made the right call. Could he have gone, you know, who does he want to go to at that point? I think Guriel was the right call, frankly. You could think about Garrett Hampson, maybe. But Guriel was the right call. You could think about Xavier Edwards. Guriel was the right call. <laughs> Alvarado pitched him well. Pitched well. Struck him out. You know, averted that problem, that, that danger there. And that was, that felt like the ball game in that moment. Then O'Kirk comes in and they give up an extra run. Again, you know, Marlon's Twitter kind of losing its mind at that point. But I know you're down by two. But you need to trust your guys to step up in these spots. He'd already trusted, you know, what I would describe as, you know, not the core leverage arms. And so you need to kind of play it through at that point. If they'd have tied the game, things would have been different. But I think I think Skip managed that game really well. I think the bullpen itself turned up and showed up really well. Jesus Lozado, he battled really well. He got through four. There, there could have been a situation where Jesus Lozado didn't even get through one. It was possible. The Phillies, you know, some decent situational hitting, some really nice at-bats just generally. But like I said, that Alec Bohm line drive down on, you know, down as it hooked down the left field line stays fair, you know, relatively close, but not close. Stays fair. He was out in front of that. He was off the end of the bat. You know, Different day, different outcome. Phil's got a little bit of the rub. Marlins didn't. Can't take anything away from the Phil's. My assessment overall as I went to bed last night at 4 a.m. was Phillies deserved that one. No doubt. Wheeler was too good. Too good. He was absolutely on. And I don't think it would have mattered who was going for the Marlins. They, I don't think they were winning that game. Just Wheeler was just, just too good. The only way out of it was just one big swing from Guriel somehow to tie it. Then you just don't know. Let's do the final ads. And then I want to talk about Jackson Jr. I also want to talk about uh, Braxton Garrett. And equally, let's just have a little look ahead here to this game too in what could be the final final game of the 2023 season. We hope not, but it is possible. Um, this episode is also brought to you by our good friends over at Bird Dogs. Uh, they also have graphics too, so we'll get those pumped. Yes, uh, um, have I got the right ones? No. Have I got the right ones? Now I have. I need a, I need a producer. Anyway, everyone's listening to the pod going, what the hell's Pete doing? Bird dogs. Let's start there. We're going to end there too, but they make you look good, guys. That's That's all you have to know. That's the end of the ads. No, it isn't really. Bird Dogs, they got the stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you that truly sculpted look. Um, the fit is immense. They fit way better than those regular shorts that have that stiff, restricting cotton. You know the ones. You know the ones. And you know that feel, that stiff cotton feel. No good. No good. Bird Dogs, they fix that issue by inventing the cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a waist limb fit without having to sacrifice movement. And they are functional, guys. Truly functional. You've got any occasion, th these bird dogs can work for you. Golf, dates, evenings out, drinks with the boys, working out, lounging around, work. 
Get that polo shirt with the baby. However you want to do it, bird dogs, they'll absolutely show up for you, no doubt. So what have you got to do? You've got to get yourself over to birddogs.com slash MLB, or enter the promo code LOCKEDONMLB at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LOCKEDONMLB for that free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you that. Okay, guys, final segment here with myself, Peter Pratt. On Wednesday, the 4th of October, we are oh, we are looking ahead to game two, where Braxton Garrett will be facing off against Aaron Nola in what will be another packed, packed house in Philadelphia and a hostile environment for the boys. I want to talk about Jazz Chisholm Jr. briefly, because yesterday it was a bit of a weird day for Jazz, I would say. And... You know, there was various flashpoints where, you know, Marlon's Twitter blowing up. What's happening here? The first incident happened on his first at-bat, where it was the second inning, top of the second, and Jazz was leading off the inning, grounder, the shortstop, if I recall correctly, and basically didn't leg it out. No gas. A lot of people saying, Jazz are really... I want to see you giving it just full speed. Why would you not? You know, it's a ground ball. Okay. Why are you not giving it full speed? I have no answer for you, by the way. I have no answer. I'm not, I don't believe that Jazz is nursing anything. It's different for Luis Arias, right? Like Arias can pretty much, if it looks like it's going to be out, then just pump the brakes. Like he's obviously really dealing and struggling with his ankle. And it's pretty clear. And we can see that. But with Jazz, no known issues. And it's a bit of a bad look, to be honest with you. And I think rightly so, Marlon's Twitter called it out. I half-jokingly replied to the Locked On Marlins GOAT, Aram Layden, who was tweeting about this and just saying, what the hell is going on here with Jazz? Um, what I did call out was that he had to sprint from center field into the dugout, get ready, you know, get ready to go and lead off. Maybe that could be a reason. Aram then rightly called that out and said, Pete, if that's the situation, the man needs a physical. So I think that Aram wasn't buying that one. I'm not sure I was buying that one, even though I was loosely selling it. <laughs> but I do recall something about that from Skip Schumacher. Earlier in the year, talking about Hoy Soler playing in the outfield, but then leading off and how he was trying to avoid that situation, having to run all the way from right field back to the dugout, get ready, and then go out and lead off. So that's, I think, what was in my head. I don't know the answer. Maybe it's just one of them where Jazz was like, I'm out, and I'm not going to gas it. I don't think that's ever the right approach, personally, particularly in the second inning of game one of a wild card. So there's that. Let's then flip it. Jazz then in center field... The Phillies score, they have guys, again, it's the same situation. They have a runner on second and third. Um, ball hit the center field. Think it was, think it was Bryson Stott, this one. Straight to Jazz in center field. Jazz comes in, fields the ball, first runner scores. Jazz, with some sort of quick release pirouette, gets the ball into Fortes and he tags out Castellanos. Uh, you know, outfield assist there. For Jazz, I need to check that that was actually... I'm sh I'm assuming that was recorded as an outfield assist. Um, it was. And just showed Jazz Chisholm Jr. impact in the game. So, 
again, another positive there from Jazz. Little highlight moment for him. Great. So we've then had not running it out. Highlight moment in the outfield with an outfield assist, saving a run. Huge. You then get an extremely curious at-bat where he comes in with a runner on base and two outs. Wheel is obviously dealing at this point. And, and we've seen a little bit of this from Jazz bunt-wise against some lefties. Seen that a couple of times. Seen Jazz kind of looking to use and, you know, get it in get it in people's minds that he could bunt. But he, he went to bunt on the first two pitches. Both of them ended up being strikes. So Jazz ends up in an 0-2 count, having squared the bunt both times. I know he... He wasn't happy with the first call in particular. The second one was definitely a strike. I think the, the first one probably was wide, actually. But it was really curious, the fact that, you know, I think it was Josh Bell on first base. Like, I, I don't really know what the thought process was there. Was there one? Why is Jazz squaring a bunt with two outs against Zach Wheeler at this point? I've no idea. So I can't tell you why he didn't leg it out to first base in that second inning. And I can't tell you why he squared the bunt two times and then struck out, I think, the next pitch on one that I think bounced at home plate. Like, it was a nasty pitch. I mean, like I said, Wheeler was absolutely on. So I've no idea on that one either. It was a very curious day from Jazz Chisholm. And some people will say, did, did the situation, you know, was it a bit too big for him? Was he impacted by it? Was he trying to do too much? Did he just lose his head in, in the moment? I don't know the answers, guys, to that. Uh, you know, I saw Jazz pregame. He, was, he seemed ultra loose. We're here to have fun. We're here to play good ball. We're here to win. Maybe Jazz was just having fun. He did impact the game in a positive way, as already mentioned. But overall, you know, over four day, two Ks, some just general poor at-bats from Jazz. And listen, as you know, I'm probably, I'm up there and one of the biggest fans of Jazz. Absolutely love him. Dude's electric. But even I'm scratching my head a couple of times yesterday wondering what was going through his head. Squaring the bunt. Didn't leg it out. Great fielding. You know, today's a new day. Today's a new day for Jazz. I'm intrigued to see what kind of performance we get from Jazz Chisholm Jr. We need one. We need a performance big time. Josh Bell was the only offensive guy that really, you know, showed out yesterday. Josh Bell looked mean. I mean, he had a three for four day. And the one, the one that he didn't get a hit on was almost a hit, actually. Could have been a four for four. Like, Bell almost took one deep as well. There was almost a cycle there for Josh Bell yesterday somehow. But didn't happen. Guys, Braxton Garrett going this evening. Let's just remember where Braxton Garrett has come this year and, you know, what the pathway has been. I was thinking about it. You know, you've got Braxton Garrett deservedly getting the ball in game two based on his performance in 23 and 22. I remember, I look back on thinking about the offseason. People were talking about six-man rotations and this and that. And, you know, Brax down to AAA and what I was thinking. Man, Brax has earned a spot in... From 22, like, Brax is one of the best starters we've got. You know, it should be Trevor Rogers trying to earn his place back. It should be Johnny Cueto trying to earn a spot. I know he's a veteran, but and they paid a lot of money for him. Anyway, 
Brax ends up making the roster. And I look back at some of my episodes around, you know, these decisions. I had Brax going down to AAA. So I was thinking, you need him to have that, have the length available should they need it. And they needed it after week one because Johnny Cueto went down immediately. But Braxton Garrett started the year as the long man in the bullpen. Braxton Garrett is now starting game two. We saw the Phillies offense against Jesus Lozado yesterday against the lefty. It does favor in some ways against real dangerous guys like Schwarber and Harper. But there are a ton of guys in that lineup that are dangerous against lefties themselves. This is going to be a huge test for Braxton Garrett. And frankly, he's going to be on the quick hook. He has to be on the quick hook here. We hope he deals. But Braxy is going to be seriously tested this evening. The question is, is can the Marlins offense seriously test Aaron Nola? Nola's had an up and down year. More down than up, frankly. And I think Skip looked at that yesterday's game and thought, Let's save the bullets for Nola and for Ranger Suarez. And with that being said, they just need to deliver. The offense needs to deliver. Braxton Garrett needs to deliver. I, he's shown that he can. But this is going to be a huge spot. Listen to him with Jeremy Taché on the Miami Mike Up podcast a few weeks back. Spoke great. One of the best ones uh, Jeremy Taché has done, actually. Um, uh, Brax was, was awesome in that. And... Brax was talking about how he's getting much, you know, he's not panicking now. He's getting more familiar with situations, being able to handle that. He knows what to do. He has his game plan. He knows what to do. The question is, is can he execute his game plan in the biggest of spots for the Marlins in 23? Guys, it's sudden death time for the Marlins. They have to win the next two. Game two, 1.08 a.m. UK time. I'm going to be up. I'm looking forward to seeing all you guys on Twitter. I appreciate you making Lockdown Marlins your first listen of the day, guys. Hope you've enjoyed this one pre-game. And I look forward to seeing you on Twitter. I'll see you tomorrow.